0: I'm tired of trying to be whatever normal is. There's no such thing as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to be like anybody else. I want to be me. That's all. I think anybody wants that.
1: That was Scott, who lives with and manages ADHD. Scott is a mental health advocate who's very active on Twitter, supporting other adults like himself who live with ADHD and also providing counsel to families of kids who have either been recently diagnosed or are struggling. In today's episode... We'll talk about Scott's personal experience of ADHD and some of the misconceptions that often surround it. We'll compare the support systems in the UK and the US for people who are living with mental illness to see if one of them is better than the other. Scott will walk us through his rich and varied career from customer call centers to bingo caller. And we'll share insights from Scott's Twitter community about how work could be made better for people who live with ADHD. Remember, Scott and I are two people talking about our personal experience of living with mental illness. If you have any concerns about your mental health, or you're considering a change to the way that you manage your mental illness, please consult with your mental health care provider. My name's James Pratt. I'm the host of Silent Superheroes, and I'm really glad that you're here.
2: Welcome to the Silent Superheroes Podcast, a series of frank conversations about mental health at work.
1: Welcome to Silent Superheroes. I'm here with today's guest, Scott. Scott, welcome to the show.
0: Hello, good afternoon, or good morning.
1: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, uh, despite the fact we both have British accents, we're both uh, about eight time zones apart, right? Is it eight? It's, oh,
0: it's twelve.
1: Yeah, no, it's eight. But it's still um, long. So, yeah, we've got a Pacific time over here on the west coast of the United States,
0: and uh, you're in the UK. Where are you right now? I am. Um, you wouldn't guess by my accent. I'm, I'm in Newcastle, but my uh, my accent's from halftier originally.
1: So we met via Twitter, and you were posting a series of videos and tweets about. Your experience is trying to get uh, a job and some of the interviews that you've been through. And, yes. um, you know, we, uh, I reached out to you and you were very kind and decided to come on the show. And that made me think, we're kind of doing a sort of an interview right now. And so I thought maybe to start, I would ask you, are there things that I can do during the course of this interview to make you more comfortable, make
0: this easier for you? Probably to keep questions if you can, nice and short rather than long. But yeah, so, because I lose track um, and I forget what you've asked. Let me explicitly
1: give you permission then. If I am asking a long rambling question, you can uh, just tell me to tell stop or, or repeat. <laughs> I will. Good. I'll probably
0: say it and I ramble because I go from one thing to another. And then I think if I answered the question, <laughs> what was the question again? <laughs> so, <laughs> Good <yeah>. stuff. <laughs> I'll let you know.
1: We've kind of alluded to, but haven't put a pin on. There's a particular mental health condition that, that you live with. So why didn't you tell us about what that is?
0: Uh, I have ADHD, uh, otherwise known as attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. But I don't like the deficit part because it's not that I, I have it. I can't or struggle to regulate certain parts of uh, my behavior, certain parts of my attention, for example, focus. I can hyper focus, uh, so I'm doing that right now. Um, but if someone asks me to do something else, oof, it's horrible. Um, so it's not the deficit. At all. Um, when I was talking to, uh, I had a production meeting with a guy called James Craig, who's going to be directing my film. And he said, about, tell me about this, about this deficit. I went, no, 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 it's not deficit, mate. It's all about the regulation. And he was sitting there kind of going, yes, I'm going to educate you too.
1: I've spoken to some of my other guests about ADHD and they described it as difficulty deciding where to place their attention.
0: Yeah, I would say it's, it's many things. It's different for everyone. Um, one person will have it differently to what I have Um, I I was diagnosed with, they called it ADD, which is without the hyperactivity, but they've now quite rightly uh, they'll call it ADHD with three subtypes which is, as I'm sure people know, you've got the hyperactivity, which is what the media always covers, Uh, you've got the inattentiveness, which a lot of people don't realise or understand it, Um, and you've got also combined Personally, I would say I'm combined um, due to the nature that I can be hyperactive, uh, but not usually physically. It's more kind of internally within my mind. I try and track what I'm saying, uh, which, as you know, I'm sure is really difficult because what I'm saying to you and I'm thinking, okay, where am I going to go next? And it's the same as what I do on Twitter when I do these videos. Um, I have an idea of what I'm going to say, but sometimes it just doesn't go that way and I end up going, okay, where am I going? But Rather than cut it and go right out of was rubbish, which I sometimes do. Um, I kind of go with it because it's raw. That's what ADHD is rather than say, you know, not be proud of it and go, do you know what? that's not what it is. That's actually, you know, a mask that you're looking at.
1: It's possible somebody doesn't know what hyperactivity really is or what the inattentive part yeah. of ADHD is.
0: To each and everybody, it's different. For me, the inattentiveness could be that because I'm a dreamer. So I could be literally, I can be hyper-focused in watching TV, but at the same time, my inattentiveness might be going, oh, I forgot to put the washing out, or I forgot to do this, and I forgot to do that. The hyperactivity used to be, when I was a teenager, <laughs> a lot of people would say, Scott, you're mental, uh, because I would be jumping about. I had loads of energy. I wouldn't sit still. But even now, my hyperactivity, unfortunately, you got, your, your listeners can't see, which not unfortunate because I don't like them, but, I bite my nails and I pick my nails um, and I've been known to pick my turns, which is disgusting. But <laughs> it's, and I, I always play with my phone, my mobile phone, it's like my fidget uh, master, if you like. I can literally be playing with my phone and having a conversation or be listening and a lot of people might think because I'm not giving them my contact that I'm not listening but I'm actually regulating what I'm doing in meetings in previous jobs. I've always, without doubt, played or fiddled with a pen. They're the big ones that I I have to fidget with. If I don't do that, I'm not in the same room as you.
1: You mentioned as a teenager having a lot of energy and people describing you as mental. Mm. And where did your journey with with ADHD start?
0: It didn't start as as, as early as I would like to have done. My ADHD journey started when I was uh, working as an online bingo presenter which was basically on a green screen. It's cheesy as hell. But people loved it. (laughs) Um, I was presenting in front of the camera uh, for an hour, talking as much as I could uh, and doing production. And part of that, because I had an earpiece in in my ear, Um, so the production team could speak to me just to say, Scott, can you promote this? Or Scott, can you do this? Or credit, say, well done, fantastic. But as soon as I would say something in my ear, I'd be babbling on as I am now. And they say, Scott, can you promote the next game or whatever's going to happen? But then I'd forget about what the hell I was on about. So at the time, my manager sort of pulled me along. There was a few things that were written down on <laughs> a piece of paper, bless her. I think it was Sharon, I can't remember her saying. And she said that, I think you've got some form of autism or something. I'd heard of autism before, but there was a few things like personal space that I wasn't very good at we were holding auditions and uh, a guy came on, came in to audition to be a presenter with us who had a bald head. I don't know if you can think where this might be going, but we got, yeah, as you do, you get friendly. Hi, I'm Scott. What's your name? I forgot his name. And you get kind of, you know, into the character of being, hi, I'm I'm the host at the minute. I don't know why I had this impulse to kind of go, oh, look, you've got no hair on your head. So I rubbed my hand (laughs) on his head. And he kind of went, well, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sorry, I just thought that was okay. So in a, people might think that i have being inappropriate. I didn't. I just thought that was being friendly. Uh, they thought it was a bit overly friendly. Because <laughs> I don't understand social etiquette. I don't always understand it at all. They said that I, they thought I had something going on, which was, you know, I'm really thankful now because that was at age 32 or 33.
1: That was really courageous, I think, for someone to say that.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think the person my mum at the time really cared, uh, and I was really conscientious of what I was doing, and asking questions. Um, so it was about six months after that, that. I'm quite argumentative without medication, but yeah, I went to the doctors and said, "Look, I think I might have some form of autism or something." I think I think the word ADHD came on from what I remember. I can't remember the journey how long that took from the time I got referred to the time I went to go and see somebody. But I do remember going to see this doctor, I said, the first thing I said to him, I I really hope that you can figure out why I am the way I am, why I fidget with my fingernails and why I play with my phone so much. So it was about an hour of conversation and it was all about my uh, my schooling, my parenting, uh, or my my parents, I should say, uh, my mental health. I had three bouts of really horrible depression. I was just lost. I was so isolated and i didn't i couldn't talk to anybody i had really a really bad time as a teenager at school i was really good at sport Um, i excelled at basketball football cricket uh for a couple of teams i have a problem with maths numbers um i struggle it's like and i hate that so the i remember the last question i think that the doctor asked me is was i ever disruptive at school and I can't remember if I said yes or no. I think I said no, but I was in maths. I hated it. And the person teaching me really had no patience for me at all. But do you know what I find weird is that even now when I'm writing something, I miss out words. And I did it all the time. And it was all, I was always just being corrected. And I just wish that somebody had gone, do you know what, this isn't quite right. You know, we, need to fix, we need to try and help this guy. I don't know if it's because of the lack of research they had or the lack of knowledge they had. probably is. But yeah, they diagnosed me with ADD, um, as it knows. So it's probably the inattentive type that I have.
1: Just listening to you, I remember when I was a kid, I was also quite disruptive in school. Any of my teachers who are listening, I'd like to offer you a personal apology for being such a little (laughs) ass. The label hyperactive was attached to me at some point because of that, Disruptiveness, but I don't feel like anything else was ever done. Like talk mm. about it, there wasn't any kind of plan or thoughts about how to manage that. Can I ask
0: you a question? Yeah, sorry, great. I do apologize. When you said, and it's it's kind of a, um, a I suppose it was a polite thing to say sorry to your teachers, but why should we have to say sorry for being us? That is a great. I know you were saying it to be nice to them, but at the end of the day, you can't help these kids cannot help being who they are. We don't have that control. So my my brother, Bradley, who said, well, what about the other guys? Well, okay, that's fine. But what about the people that cannot control what they're talking, what they're doing? And I'll be perfectly honest, it makes me angry. I get really peeved at the fact that acceptance, that we are slightly a little bit different. But the thing is, difference doesn't have to mean negative and it's where the media we do get it wrong most of them there's a few of them that kind of wow but we're not the same
1: i fell into a very easy trap for apologizing for the way that that i that i am
0: yeah i think we do that and it's it's uh, it's unfortunate that we feel that we have to apologize for being ourselves because in the, the day uh, it's saying, well, I'm sorry if there's something I can't control, but I feel that I need to, con- to apologize. And it's, I used to think it's was a uh, British thing. I think it's an ADHD thing. You know, How many times are we told off? How many times are we told scolded? How many times are we, don't do this and don't do that? You know, I think to myself, to my little boy, I, mean, I don't know. He, I mean, obviously he could have it. It's too late to tell. But you know, I keep thinking to myself, I tend to sit still. But then I think to myself, hang on, what about if he can't sit still? What about if he's just not possible? And I'm telling him to stop and I'm scolding him. So I think to myself, well, you know, I couldn't, if I couldn't sit still, but yet I was being told to behave like a neurotypical would, why should I? We don't make exceptions enough to make people feel included. And that has to change without a doubt because we're not a world of neurotypicals. We're a world of lots of different people.
1: Could you explain what you mean or what the word neurotypical means? Because not everybody has, has heard that.
0: So for example, myself within the frontal lobe system, our impulsivity, there's a lack of blood flow, or there's just the lack of uh, linking that our brain does. The messages are just not getting there. But yes, yeah, so a neurotypical is basically to me, someone who doesn't, as long as they're aware, have a mental health problem or issue. I think it's someone who can control. I, I always say to, if I have an argument, so you have the luxury of controlling, I do not, or luxury of regulating yourself. I can't regulate myself because my brain doesn't let me do that without certain help, without certain tools of doing that.
1: Another way I'm thinking about it is you could, you could say somebody is neurotypical if the way that they act and behave and the way their brain functions is what society, in inverted commas, expects.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point, actually. I do think about mental health in general. The, you know, One Flew, a film, One Flew of the Cookies Nest with Jack Nielsen, who played an, an, an incredible part. And it's the, the white jacket of the need to be restrained and the need to be stopped from their behaviour, from hurting themselves and hurting someone else. And I think that's where people get scared. That's that fear. Sadly, too many people go through the experience of being bullied, being isolated. Unfortunately, some people have committed suicide because of that. And the rates of that are disgustingly high. And especially in in the UK, we are simply not investing. We are not acknowledging the problems that people are having. And it's got to stop. And the thing is, there are some incredible people out there. I would say Lucy Hobbs, I would say, is an, an impressive lady. We've got Michelle Beckett, who's with ADHD Action, Tony Lloyd, From the ADHD Foundation. Without these these people um, who are doing the work that needs to be done, it still irritates me that we our media only talk about something when a celebrity talks about it. Why is it not when anybody's talking about
1: it? So often we talk about it when a celebrity commits suicide.
0: Exactly. What could have been done?
1: Yeah, exactly. Which attaches, I think, more negative stigma to it
0: because
1: it creates the fear that like, oh, if I have depression, then it, you know, eventually I'll commit suicide. Yeah. And really uh-huh. part of the reason that I'm having you know conversations with people with all sorts of different mental illnesses is, is to illustrate that many people live functional
0: lives, right? And you just don't see it. But they actually do. They're, to see, they're choosing to see the negative sides. For example, high-profile person, Anthony McPartlin, McFar- uh, part of Anthony Deck, obviously he's had Know, a really bad struggle with tramadol, uh, which is a very strong um, medication for pain. But he drank and then he drove, got in the car and he's gone through self-help and then he's realized or they've, they've realized that he's been diagnosed with ADHD. You look on Twitter about that. How many people saying, you know, give him a label for an excuse? And I think, no, it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. They see a behavior, they then judge. You see a kid having a tension or having a a bit of a, a meltdown, and we automatically judge it's the parent's fault. It's this person's fault.
1: So there's Scott, an adult managing inattentive ADHD. Scott's story feels so familiar. The disruptive kid who people labelled as crazy, sporty, not mathematical. At least, not by the standards of the average person. What struck me so much about Scott's story was the courage shown by somebody to say, hey Scott, there might be something going on. From what I can tell, that person didn't have any malice. They reached out with kindness and caring to see if there was a way maybe that Scott's life could be better. And Scott's life did get better as he experimented with medication and began to realize that there was nothing to apologize for when you're living with ADHD. Walk me through your journey with, with medication. You diagnosed around 32. What have you, what have you tried since then?
0: I think, they tried, I think it was straightway on to Concerta. Been on Ritalin before. I can't remember what happened with that. But with the Concerta, it started me on five milligrams, which I think you know, is the standard dose. And I think, remember, I was on a bus. Going towards work, and I remember the the kick that I got. The oh my god, I've switched on. It's a bit. You know, we both wear glasses. Look like me, okay, I can't see. I'm blurred. That's the, without the tablet. Oh, I put it on. Wow, I can operate. I can. I feel good about myself. I can organize myself. Just about. I can rationalize. I won't be argumentative. The tablet basically allows us to feel the way we should feel. So I was on that, and obviously they increase it, increase it, and I think I went up to. 72 milligrams, which was the 236s. But I, the one thing that I've learned about that tablet since, and it's the one thing I've learned about the American system versus the British system, is that in America, they test um, how fast you, you know, how fast it eats up the tablet. Because it was only lasting for three hours. It was supposed to last for four hours. So because we don't test for that, they would just go, oh, it could be this and it could be that. I don't want could be. So I, want, I want to know how to get the best out of me. At the time, I was working eight till six or something, or I could be working the late shift, which would start at, I think it was 12, no, at two o'clock, and it would end at 10 o'clock. I would have to try and last, I'd take a tablet in the morning. Well, no, I wouldn't take a tablet in the morning, but then I would need to try and take a tablet mid-morning or some point, and try and make these two tablets work for the time that I needed. And I'm sad to say that I ended up taking too many tablets but i didn't know what i was doing um, i was basically keeping myself going they had to stop me doing it because i was taking methylphenidate. i just started getting palpitations and it wasn't healthy if we did the tests over here in england uh, or the uk i should say i think people would get better treatment
1: i don't think it's what it's worth i don't think it's universal here that people do the the metabolism test one of my earlier guests has a very similar problem where he can only get so much of the medication he takes and it burns off very quickly. So he has to be very, very thoughtful about when he takes it so that he can function. And as you are talking about that, um, that whole experience of being on the bus and that sudden feeling of normality, I don't know if it's because society tells us, but all of us with these mental health conditions desperately just want to be
0: exactly. normal exactly
1: which exactly. is funny when you consider that you know we were talking before
0: about you know accept us as as we are and they won't unfortunately there's a lot more people understanding and i i totally get you there it's just so so hard to be seen or to operate in a society that expects you to expects basically and i'm tired of that i'm tired of trying to be whatever normal is. There's no such thing as far as I'm concerned. I don't want to be like anybody else. I want to be me. That's all. I think anybody wants that. I think that's my problem. I'm, I, I want to feel understood. And I, that's why I've mentioned the film companies, Just not because I want to promote it, but because I want to feel like everybody else wants to feel an acceptance um, because it's boring, it's tedious, and it's tiring. I'm exhausted. That's why I do what I do because I want to go, right, I can do it and you're not going to stop me doing it. You know, I help a lot of people on Twitter. I get a lot of parents actually come up to me and say, look, and I'm not an expert by this at all, but uh, the reason I do the videos is because I wanted people to see what it can be like to live with uh, something that you cannot see, but you actually are seeing it. So that is my ADHD. It's a positive thing. So, yeah, and I'm proving to myself that I can be successful. Just not the way I'd like to be successful. With the film, I've had multiple people involved with it. Three directors, I think. Well, I'm counting. Um, <laughs> I, was, <laughs> I had producers on board that were trying to help me. I was literally doing loads of things myself. You know, my own publicity, I did local TV, local radio, which I love doing. It's something I really love doing. But it was so tiring. Um, but, so yeah, I'm resilient. I have to be. We have to be resilient. It's, uh, I'm not always like this. I'm not. There are a few days when I've been, I don't have any fight in me at all and I just can't do it. I have to drive myself to a better place. If I can make, in fact, I know for a fact that the film is going to go ahead. I've been pushing it and pushing it until I've got the right people and now I'm in that place where I've got the right people who are extremely professional. I've got Rory Bremner who's supporting blessing. And that's a great thing to have someone like that to kind of go, do you know what? I'm going. Help, I don't know the answer, but I'm going to help you. He did a documentary called I think it's called ADHD and Me, and he got diagnosed on the documentary that he, that he did. But he always knew he had it. He went on Ritalin before a show, and he said the only bad thing about it was that he couldn't didn't have the feeling that he could juggle six balls in the air. Whereas with his job, he thinks that it, you know ADHD for him it's great because he can jump from one thing to another and just done, which I admire. So the, the only thing for me, I, I can think of lots of things at the same time. It can be a great thing to, at times. It's when I'm doing that and I want it to be less so because it burns me out. I get overwhelmed. And um, for example, I could be playing with my son, and the text will come through. Now I hate waiting for messages, constantly. <laughs> I have to wait, but I don't like. I get so much anxiety. Like, I hate the thought that I can't use my phone. It's by me all the time because that's how I communicate and. Someone said to me once that I overshare, but sod them. <laughs> 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 I don't care what you say. <laughs> I don't. We have to
1: have the conversation to make it okay for other people to have the conversation. And I find you get one of two reactions: you get the wow, that's so strong, and that's brave, and that's courageous, and inspiring. And you get the people who who are threatened and frightened by the idea that they may not be in control of their own minds and somebody who's standing up and saying like hey there's a bunch of people who aren't in there who admit or they, they talk about hey you know I can't control every aspect of my mind that is scary for for some people and so those are the people i think where the you know where you get more oh,
0: definitely. I don't know,
1: negative attention or they see it as there's like a it's fear. weak
0: a lot of people who uh, who are ignorant to mental health it's i think the basic human uh, psyche is is a fear of being judged, I think because I'm I'm now 41, I now realise that I have a lot to offer. And the one thing that when someone says, oh, "Why do I know that?" people put up a wall or a barrier, and that just makes me more intrigued. Why are you doing that? You're protecting yourself. You're guarding yourself against something. And because people have grown up with such a, a stigma, or because of life experiences. A negative life experience, they then go, okay, I'm not doing that again. I'm not doing that again. No, you can. You can have the courage. Just get to know yourself and I promise you, all you need is that one person to go, oh, you're okay. You're right. You're absolutely right and that's what it took for me. I have a few people in my life that kind of go, John you know Scott, you're absolutely amazing and I don't always see it myself and some people used to say, Scott, you talk about it too much. Why shouldn't I? Why shouldn't I? We should all be proud of what is in our head if it's not like the next person to you you are not like them and that's fine it's okay to be different and do you know what i am proud to have adhd i love it i don't like it when it's on a bad day but i love it because that is part of who i am it doesn't define me but bloody hell it's not going to go anywhere and nor am i
1: i'm very glad I'm glad for you having ADHD, and I'm glad for the work you do to advocate on behalf of others who don't yet want to speak. Well, send them my way, and I'll help. Or don't know that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, that's the best way to be. That's
1: awesome. Let's talk a little more about work. You mentioned that you had been an online bingo caller, greatest job ever, by the sound of it. It was amazing. What other things have you have you done?
0: Um, I've worked on Princess Cruises, uh, which I did two contracts with. So I've been. I would say halfway around the world. That job, what did I do? Uh, it was literally, uh, from day, morning time till night time. I was entertainment for the guests, uh, Mer- mainly American clientele. Yeah. My job was to do like the activities, uh, so it was shuffleboard. It could be the quizzes. It could be in the theme nights at night time, dancing, public relations, talking, worked on a cruise in the entertainment side. Uh, what else? Uh, so that, yeah, that was a job that I really loved. Um, I, Again, it was entertainment working for Haven Holidays um, over here in the uh, in the UK, which is like basically like the uh, Butlins kind of thing, but it was stripes. Um I was a teenage coordinator for that uh, dancing stuff. Um, so I did that for two years. That was amazing. I've mainly done call centres, uh, customer service, which is taking incoming calls, selling retentions. When I was a carer. It's the job that I did before. Uh, so I've been unemployed since July of last year. And I've been trying to figure myself out, trying to figure out what the hell works with my ADHD. Because if I don't, I could go into a job and then i find myself back into the unemployment line. And that's horrible. From the
1: perspective of somebody with ADHD, what have been the pros and cons of the kind
0: of work you've done to this point? There's more cons than pros. <laughs> uh, in, the, in the call centre, there's uh, you can't see the person you're speaking to. The interruptions, the mood changes that I went through, triggers, so the argumentative side I went through. I got disciplined no matter how many times. I was in, in the meetings, getting disciplined. Why did you do this? And why did you say that? Or what about the, the customer? And I wasn't thinking, well, what about me? Look after me. The sky, to be fair, looked after me. Um, the cruise ships, that was a good thing because I was me. I could jump, be jumping about. I could be having fun. That really helped my adhd i didn't know i had adhd then the care work there were pros there because i can be caring and i'm generally supportive the negatives were that my my the company that i worked for didn't really understand it didn't really understand how to get the best out of me but that's the one of the the annoying things is when you go into the occupational health meetings and they always ask you what kind of adjustments do you want to be made i have absolutely no idea and there's a lot of people that they will speak on twitter and say that you you know, do you know that you could do this and do you know you could do that? No. I'm not one for reading up on this stuff. And a lot of people say, well, I should, but I can't. The inattentive side won't switch on even when it should do. I find myself under pressure. I know I've got to get back to work. As you'll know, we have the great benefit system. But when I say great, I'm saying that ironically, actually. <laughs> it's universal credit, which for me, it's working okay-ish a lot of people it's not but at least I have some support financial support but it's also the the lack of support emotionally that they give you they don't give you any support at all for that they don't give you any career guidance you know people say to me what do I want to do I want to be an advocate for ADHD but I don't know how to get paid for it <laughs> that's the honest truth I have a business idea and it goes back to the medication subject because over here in the UK and I know that I'm pretty sure that you know about this. The first line of of treatment is medication, which is not a problem. But well, it could be a, it can be a problem because some parents, respectfully, don't want their kids on, to be on medication, and I absolutely understand that. They don't want it to have whatever the side effects are. I would love to create or open a well-being center, primarily, admittedly, it would be for ADHD families to come in for some advice. Uh, to come in for reiki, reiki sessions or holistic therapies, holistic treatments, because I find that, yes, if you want to take medication alongside that, you're going to enhance yourself, understand your ADHD, understand what it is that you have, understand your brain, because if you don't understand your brain, you might as well be fighting, a, you know, might as well be hitting a brick wall. Um, and that's something I've had to figure out myself, and it's still something I'm figuring out, but I want to help people for the simple reason there isn't enough help here. And we're not investing in our mental health systems. It's still... Mm.
1: I mean, I can tell you from, from somebody who has obviously an interest in the United Kingdom and uh, lives in another country, in another system, it feels to me that the UK is doing a lot more. Really? Yeah. I, I mean, even, for example... If I look on Twitter, and you know, since you and I connected, I've been connecting with lots of other people in the UK, and there are a lot of people out there advocating and talking about it.
0: That's not good either, though, because we've got waiting lists. (laughs) It's not. We've got waiting lists of eighteen months for people to get seen, and that's not good. We've got. I mean, I don't know about the Senko side of things. There, There are people literally are struggling to basically help their kids because they're not supported by the right systems and the right systems are not funded properly or the people within them are not running them properly so if you're saying that over there it's we're doing it better neither side are doing it very well
1: well maybe it's maybe let's then say it's different in that if you have money here and you can afford good medical insurance then you can get a psychiatrist and medication and yada 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 if
0: you can't then you've got a problem. That's bad. See, I think, I don't like that. I, I know that because we, you know, our system is very definitely, you know, the, the NHS is under a lot of pressure and there's a lot of underfunding going on. It's a politics game but they're playing politics with our brains and it's, uh, it's disgusting. Uh, I don't fully understand it but I know that funding is a huge issue and the, fact, the that the fact that a stigma is attached to mental health is because people are not, are being allowed to freely go, do you know what, I'm struggling. And the thing is, if you're struggling, okay, well, how can we help?
1: I was diagnosed with bipolar after I moved from the UK to the US, so I've never experienced mental health care in the UK. When I listen to media from the UK, podcasts, magazine articles, talk shows, TV adverts, you hear celebrities talking about mental health all the time. I'd formed the conclusion that the UK was doing a better job overall supporting mental health needs because they were talking about it. But Scott pointed out that mental health support isn't well-funded in the UK. So while there may be more awareness, access to care can be much more limited. And anecdotally, I'd heard from a couple of dear friends in the UK who had been struggling with their mental health and are struggling to get medical care. On the other hand, Scott's perception was that the quality of care is much better in the US. Which can be true, but your access to care is limited by your health insurance. I'm able to work, and so I have health insurance, which gets me access to a psychiatrist and the medications of my choice. But that's not everyone's experience. And we're starting to talk about mental health more in the US, but I don't know we're quite where the UK is yet. So who's doing better? The UK or the US? My answer is neither. Each country is focusing in different areas. I don't know that either of them yet has reached the threshold for okay when you consider how to support people who are managing their mental health. Coming into the podcast, Scott had asked his ADHD community on Twitter for their suggestions for how to accommodate ADHD employees at work. I was excited to ask Scott for his thoughts on the suggestions his community had shared. So when we got connected on Twitter and we agreed mm-hmm. to, uh, to do the podcast together,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you did something very smart. You reached out to the community of people that, that you're part of <laughs> and asked them, hey, how could work be better? you know, for us as a community, mm. how could interviewing be made more easy for us? And so I thought yeah. maybe I could read out a few of those replies and you could tell me what you what you think about that. What you think how you think that would help you. Cool. And I'll put a link to this Twitter discussion in the show notes. All right, here we go. So Oli Reagan, which is at Oli oli Reagan R-E-G-A-N said have a hyperspace where you can let off or give gym passes. Oh, that's good. Hyperspace, what's that? I assume it meant somewhere where if you need to let off a little energy, yeah. that you can. Um, okay. I'm think, I mean, it's ironic. I'm kind of thinking like a padded room, but then I realize I'm talking about padded <laughs> at
0: itself, So, <laughs> I would love a power nap when it's possible. Me too. My power naps are kind of like, I need it. Um, I remember uh, back at, They'll course something then they said I said about the anxiety and stuff. say, can you, do you want to have like five ten minutes to yourself? Like it was just gonna disappear after that amount of time. I think they tried to be good, but um they didn't get it. <laughs> Not at all.
1: All right, so we got King of Disappointments, which is at ADHD delinquent, and that's delinquent spelled with an I, D-E-L-I-N-Q-I-N-T, says let us listen to music, wireless headphones, or something, unless it's a safety risk.
0: Good idea. I think it's a very good idea. It's, if it works for you and you need music near, you, then right. brilliant.
1: If it's the if you're, you know if your inattentiveness is triggered maybe by sound,
0: yeah, you know,
1: been able to block that, that sound yeah, out.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a good idea.
1: Okay, we have got uh, Lucy Hobbs, who you've mentioned a few times, who's She's at brilliant. Lucy K Hobbs, Hobbs with yeah. two B's says, speak to the individual, ask them what their needs are. We're all different and tolerance. Plenty of that.
0: Definitely. She's spot on there because we are all different, whether um, even with, with mental health or not. I, th- I think that's where we get sometimes a bit stuck, where, where we think that everybody will react to the same treatment. And it's the same with medications. Not everyone's going to have the same metabolism. It's not everyone's the same chemical in their brain. But I think the unfortunate thing is if when you don't, like me, I didn't know about the adjustments that could be made. I wanted to be put into a, um, a private room, but that just wasn't possible. And I think that's where employees, sorry, employers, neurodiversity, I think I'm understanding is that it's becoming more, they understand it now or better, but it's the cost. But then at the same time, it's it's, it's the law. They have to be making adjustments for you. They just probably don't want to have that conversation. But.
1: It sounds like the law in the UK is a little different than the law in the US. So in the US, we have the Americans with Disabilities Act, which means that, you can request an accommodation. So, for example, you could request that I need to wear my headphones while I'm yeah. working. Yeah, but it's up to the business to decide whether that is a um, whether that a reasonable adjustment. Yeah, whether that's reasonable, whether it creates a, I think they call it a business
0: hardship. Really? Uh, yeah. That personally, I would say is shocking, because if they said no to you, then that's discriminating to to you. How? Are you going to be better at your job if you're not comfortable at what you're doing? So there's pros and cons to these things, but Absolutely. I think we're doing pretty well. The Equality Act does pretty; it does its job over here. I think it's just the individuals knowing whether what's what is possible, and what isn't, and again, the the employers knowing and uh, supporting. Definitely, cool. All
1: right, next up we have Marius Davry put us somewhere with the least possible distractions.:
0: Yeah, definitely for ADHD. Um, it was something that came up to me came up uh, when they were discussing mine. I found a seat in the call center where I found it a lot easier. I could look at the uh, the window as calmer, but then the difficulty of that was that they couldn't put it as my desk because different shift rotors rotations, so then I had to go and sit wherever it was. Um, the hours I started working were slightly different. It was a great idea, but it just didn't work to its full capacity. So uh, we got Wide Awoke Club.
1: Understand how vital environment is, including health and safety, general policy, clearly explained and understood terms, conditions, and rights. When I read that, what I read into it was, if you have ADHD, it's useful for someone to kind of explain precisely and carefully what expectations are. Has that been your experience?
0: Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I've always told the, my employers where I struggled. And I think that's where they tried to put the, the, the desk in the corner. However, I think the one thing they could not control was how I would respond to people on the phone. They would, t- they would, they would say, okay, so if you get into a difficult situation, tell the customer that you're going to put them on on hold. So that i can go, <gasps> oh, <sighs> okay, just calm down, calm down, breathe, blah, blah, blah. And then I'd go back to them and say, okay, and start with a di- to- to- totally different mindset. That, yes, it worked for a certain amount of time. And then the excitement of that kind of wore off. And I was like, okay. And then I felt getting stuck. So it's, um, I find work quite difficult. I can get, you know, the, the first three months when I get into a new job is all exciting. And then after three months, I get bored because it just doesn't do it. I, I'm not a very big fan. Of, even though I like routine, repetition for me is uh, difficult. Um, I get bored and just not missing. It's like, ugh.
1: So Alex Loveless, homeworking, help with process and bureaucracy. And I think you've talked about that kind of process and bureaucracy a little bit already.
0: Yeah. There's a lot of bureaucracy that goes on and around um, making adjustments for people. Because I think, see, I, I can only go from my own experience. A lot of people have had their own. Um, but even like my last job as a carer they made my we had like a rotor of how many people would have to go and see excuse me and to assist um, so that's, and I was supposed to be given medication but they took me off giving medication because I made a couple of mistakes which took the pressure off me um, but then it gave the other guys more work to do uh, so in effect it kind of had a, a reverse effect it took the pressure off me but it put more pressure on somebody else because Somebody had to go and do it, um, so it's uh, it's it's hard because a lot of people you can you can work with and you can kind of go. Well, I have this condition. I have ADHD, for example. And if they know about it, great. If they don't, you end up. trying... I mean, I don't mind educating people, but it's trying to um, make all the links up. You know, when you don't know the job yourself, you kind of go. Well, what's going to work for me? I, I don't know. I'm just going to fly the seat with my pants and. Blagging it. <laughs> because that's what I feel like I'm doing most of the time. Blagging it. But when I'm doing the Twitter stuff and the social media stuff, I feel like I know what I'm doing. So it's, I think it feels alien.
1: Another one here from Alex. He says, I find I need a mix. I need to be around people, but I get stimulation overload and don't get any focus work done. So I save that stuff for home working days. So he's saying I need a mix of
0: uh, oh, okay.
1: being around people and, and sort of being on my own.
0: Yeah, I could, I can. that's a really good comment actually. Because um, I, I don't like being around people all the time. I need me time. I need like quietness. But then there might be another time I kind of like would you can you can jump different ideas and that, having that social aspect there. Um, I think that depends on the mood thing. It can be if you're in the mood to be sociable. I'm not always in the mood to be sociable. And When I'm not in the mood to be sociable, I have my eyes down and if someone's talking to me, I make a sound. Mm. <laughs> I make a very short response.
1: So if you were to sum it up. What is it yeah. you want people to know about living with
0: ADHD? ADHD is something that is a really intense, complex condition that so many kids, kids especially, that don't know, they don't understand. All they do know is how they feel, and that feeling is—I ex- would say exaggerated. It's, it's heightened. You know, our senses are heightened, and I want schools, I want the government, I want anybody, everybody. To understand that we are not stupid. It doesn't affect our IQ. It makes us actually more actually clever. We just need time and patience. Um, a hug. Um, we need to be heard. And if you can get the right support, the right medication if you decide to take medication, the right guidance, the right time, and the right type of people around you, Damn it, you can be successful. Because there are people out there who can be successful. Will Smith. There's loads of famous people have worked it out. And one thing I'm going to do is make sure that I help as many people as I can, including myself, um, so that we thrive.
1: If I could take you back in time to uh, bingo caller Scott and give you permission to you know, whisper a sentence in your, in your ear, what would you tell yourself? Bingo! <laughs> <laughs> yeah the next next number coming out is eight yeah.
0: I know I didn't we didn't call the numbers that was at Bing, that was in the um the, that haven I did I got taken off that twice because I was um, wrong but the, the bingo presenting thing I'll be honest if that person didn't tell me that they saw a problem with me I would one I wouldn't be talking to you now well, I may have been talking to you but probably not and two I wouldn't know because I've always thought that my brain was different. I've always felt different. And that's the problem with people. that we When we feel different, we don't feel accepted. We don't have a self-esteem. That becomes, it's all linking into everything. You want to be
1: accepted. and I
0: you know. want to be accepted and understood. That's, that's, the, that's my key thing. And it's my key thing that when I was younger, I screamed out, I want to be understood. I'll get there. That's my quote, actually. I always say, I'll get there. I just don't know when.
1: Scott, thanks for the conversation. If somebody wanted to find out more about you or your movie project, where should they go?
0: I'm a big time on Twitter. It's at Scott underscore creator. Um, I would love people to approach me. Uh, They do already. Uh, I'm not an expert. I give advice to parents and I only do it through my experience. I'm not um, medicalized. I'm not a doctor or anything like that. Um, But I love helping people. And if People want to find out a bit more about the film. The film is basically aimed to create much. There is an awareness, but there's not enough of it. There's not enough understanding. Um, It's to create another conversation to go, you know what, I did not know that. Thank you very much. I'm going to take that away from me, and I'm going to support you all at the same time. And I think it will do that. In fact, I know that it will do that. And it's called Misunderstood.
1: The movie is called Misunderstood, and still in production, right?
0: Uh, We're going to be making a prequel, which I've just literally got the script. The pre prequel title was called At Dawn He Died, kind of a proof of concept. Um, they then put that in front of the right people, lots of different people, to ask for their money. Um, that money then will be used to produce and direct. So when
1: that's out there, then hopefully you'll come back on the show and we can talk about the movie Absolutely. and what you learned making a movie with ADHD.
0: I will be promoting it like you're sick in the head. <laughs>
1: <laughs> awesome, Scott. Thank you so
0: much for your time. Thank you. And thank you to all your listeners. And thank you to you as well. Thank you. You've been a great job. Bye now. Boonga.
1: So that's Scott's story. When you speak to Scott about ADHD, he speaks with a passion that's infectious. He wants to help make a world where people who live with ADHD aren't outsiders. They're accepted. They can just be. He wants a world where they're not misunderstood. I can't wait to see this passion injected into his movie. Listening back to this conversation with Scott, I'm reminded of a Beatles song I've been thinking about a lot lately. In one of the verses of All You Need Is Love, the lyrics go something like Nothing you can make that can't be made. No one you can save that can't be saved. Nothing you can do, but you can learn how to be you in time. It's easy. All you need is love. I think so much of the pain comes from wanting to be something else. And the solution really is to learn how to love yourself. The idea, that's easy. The reality, that's really hard. But know that you're not alone. Those thoughts you have of frustration because you can't quite fit in, because you have to work so hard to show up like other people. But know that you're not alone. Me, people on the podcast, millions of other people, we're all going through this struggle. This struggle of trying to fit in. This mask that we have to put on every single day when we show up at work and we show up in the world. So maybe it's not easy for you to love yourself today. But let's agree, we can send each other a little bit of love. And hopefully that's the first step on the journey. Remember, Scott and I are two people talking about our personal experience living with mental illness. If you have any concerns about your mental health, or you're considering a change to how you manage your mental illness, please contact a mental health professional. If you like what you've heard in today's episode, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to hear about new episodes as they're released, you can sign up for our newsletter at silentsuperheroes.com or you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash
2: silentsuperheroes. Take your mental health seriously. If you need to speak to someone, you can call 1-800-273-8255. Or text crisistextline.org at seven four one seven four one. Both provide 24-7 confidential counseling to people in the United States. Worldwide, visit iasp.info slash resources slash crisis underscore centers slash To help others find the Silent Superheroes podcast, Please leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting service.